This is the My Dialorama podcast. My Dialorama champions independent, radical and emerging filmmakers, as well as films and TV made by underrepresented groups. We're proud to be the official partner of the International Clermont-Ferrand Short Film Festival, the largest short film festival in Europe and one of the largest in the world. In this podcast, we mostly discuss issues around race and class in film and TV and interview people with interesting takes on and experiences in film and other screen-related matters. So what are we discussing? We are discussing two things and they are they have one thing in common which is they both sort of address higher education in the states, right? Um the first one is the 10-minute documentary from The Intercept which is called Freedom Dreams: Black Women and the Student Debt Crisis. Freedom Dreams is narrated by Nina Turner and in it black women talk about the ways in which student debt has impacted their lives. It features a number of uh, of uh, educators and activists who are basically um struggling with tens of thousands or hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars in loan debt from essentially having pursued higher education. The documentary is based on a book um by scholar and activist Robin DG Kelly and It is as I said narrated by former Ohio State Senator Nina Turner who is not only quite vocal about the debt abolition movement but was also just to give you a tiny bit of background um she's an educator and a campaigner and uh she was affiliated with the Bernie Sanders campaign back in 2020 the directors are Eric Stoll and Astra Taylor the second fil- well it's not a film the second one is a Netflix documentary called Operation Varsity Blues the College Admissions Scandal about the 2019 college admi- college admissions bribery scandal which is essentially a mix of reenactments and real life interviews and stars Matthew Modine as the principal culprit Rick Singer So essentially the documentary depicts the scandal surrounding the uncovering of a scam run by Rick Singer who was a private college counselor and so-called advisor and what Rick Singer did was use bribes and doctor photographs uh for rich people to get their kids into elite universities well to create a side door right because yes. you have the front door which is regular admissions you have the back door where people will pay well pay they provide donations right to the university You know what I was reminded of? Did you ever see watch the Simpsons and when Mr. Burns' son came? I don't think I did. Yes, so his son was played by Rodney Dangerfield, the voice. Right. Right. And so Mr. Burns went to Yale, so he was like I want him to go to Yale. So he went to say he's like I want him to go and yell, "Look, look, I think it's, you know, donation time. I think it's time for that. So tell me how much, you know, how much should I be donating this year?" And they they said something like oh under normal circumstances it would be you know something like $200,000 but scores like his it'll be in airport. <laughs> I want to go back and watch it now. But you've hit on the issue I have which I will come to. Um but the issue I had if you want my opinion is the is that 
I don't think it's much of a scandal personally. I think the fact that there is a front door and a back door and many side doors anyway is the real scandal at the heart of this problem. So I think what Rick Singer did was really capitalise on an, an existing unfair system. But I do think, I really appreciated the fact that I, I think, remind me, there's a, a, a one of the talking heads is I think from Stanford and he's the kind of the voice of reason who was like, the, the bigger problem is the system, is the fact that these universities are set up in a way that allows this kind of practice, really. So that was my issue. I thought, well, what Rick Singer does is really, uh, it's tap into an existing market. In terms of the current economy and the way the, the higher education system is run in the States, there is no reason why what he's doing is considered a scam I mean, yes, he's doctoring photographs, but I mean, it's it's only a step further than what people are currently doing. I don't think the backdoor thing of giving massive donations is right either. The fact that they're basically run like businesses and for-profit businesses. So that's the, the main issue I had around it. Yeah, I well, I mostly agree with what you're saying, right? Because what the documentary didn't do was say, okay, what's the difference between privilege advantage and cheating right i mean it's it's very blurry because like one of the talking heads said right no one ever questions the back door to say that you get give 30 million dollars and then your child gets to go to that no school. right how is that so fair? no one questions yeah. that and i thought it was also interesting they didn't bring up the real affirmative action right which is legacy admissions so if your parents go then you have a better chance of going so yeah. it was almost to me like they were really trying to intervene at that point. It's like they didn't go to that school. So they wanted a way for their children to go. Basically, they were trying to make their children legacy admissions. And that's just it. Well, I I get it. Uh, but I think people in terms of the criticism were saying, oh, well, that was a spot that was, could have gone to someone else. Actually, it wouldn't have gone to you anyway, because <laughs> because it was a few spots and you were never going to be eligible for that likely. But I think there is a sort of myth and you see that a lot with affirmative action because that's um, always been under attack. So actually I was admitted to university right after they stopped affirmative action. And there was a, you know, huge, and there were never that many black students anyway, but there, the number really dropped after that. The thing is there, these families were kind of at a point where they didn't have 30 million, but they wanted to compete, I think, with those legacy admission students. But no one ever questions the legacy admissions. And the furthest that they went in the documentary was say, oh, the universities are greedy. It's like, well, are they? Or is it a policy problem? Because even though I do have my criticisms of the Freedom Dreams documentary, I think they're right in saying this is a policy problem that's been created. It has nothing to do with the ability of young people. Because even then, right, the documentary says the solution would be, why are you so desperate for your children to go to these elite universities. Yeah. Because there are lots of places that they could go. And ultimately, which was interesting, is that they have the social capital anyway. So it, even if they went to a small liberal arts college where they could easily gain admission, it they'll still have access to the jobs they think they only have access to with an Ivy League education. Or USC, because USC is not Ivy League, but, you know, it's, it's certainly an elite institution yeah well it was mentioned in so he was a fear monger and to me that's just what the only thing that made him a scammer is he was telling these people oh your child won't be able to get in and that just wasn't true they could but the parents were so nervous and scared and god forbid <laughs> their children weren't able to go to that school that they did then okay we'll do whatever to make sure they get to go um 
And I think it's just, you know, just an extension of their privilege. And it's, I mean, I, I did like that they got punished only because what was also brought up during this time was there was a, and oh gosh, I really should have looked it up, but there was a black woman and that that's something that black parents do. And I'm just only saying black parents are more likely to do it because yeah. they're locked out of good schools. Yeah. Right. And they probably are in terms of their resources, right? So the problem is black schools, it's not about the competence of the teachers. It really is about the resources you don't have in terms mm-hmm. of labs and AP courses, which will help you get into higher education, all that stuff. So she used her father's address yeah, so that they could go to that school district and they put her in jail for five years. Oh, God. So it's like, okay, she <laughs> she uses her father's address. Which wasn't, you know, it, was a, it wasn't even really a huge lie, honestly, because... You know, it's still family. Yeah. And so... God, so many people She was over it. there. And more importantly, she was over there because her kids need to go to school over there. So it's like her kids spent time there and they locked her up. No, you know, instead of just doing the... Not that I would think that's right either, but they could have easily just said, okay, you don't really live there. So your children, we're not going to enroll them. Nope, they policed her. And so I did like that that same thing was applied because I don't agree with it at all, locking people up. But what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And I was actually shocked. I never thought that they would go to jail. So that was interesting. It, but it all came about because he was getting caught for something else and he threw them under the bus to save himself. Yes, yes. In a typical fashion, <laughs> which, I do, which I also like because it's also the question of why would you trust him? Yeah. And the, But the thing about it too is they weren't even critical of that process of the private college counseling, which starts at two to 300 an hour. So No, and that's the thing. That's essentially his job. He's not made up this job. It's a real thing in the US. It is. You can pay someone to basically help you blag your way in. Right. And so... The, and, no one said what's the problem with that because that surely is problematic and no one says anything about that just like no one says anything about getting a job through your parents knowing somebody that's not illegal and it could be to me another thing that unites these both the documentaries is this belief in a meritocracy because they both try to argue it's there even though all the evidence shows them that it's not which was strange it's like okay all evidence is pointing to this is not a meritocracy but they're still saying no but it is and it can be can it though because that's not how institutions function. And I've had this argument with several people that they think universities can be an equalizer. It's like, why would you think that? Isn't that the issue you have with the Nina Turner uh, discourse, which is yes, she wants to widen access to higher education. But what are you arguing that the current higher education system in the States doesn't provide the opportunities she believes it, it, it should do or it does? Right. And it never did. I think what she's arguing is that what was used to create the white middle class can create a black middle class. And that's just fundamentally not true. And she doesn't say why it is true. Um, And even one of the talking heads talked about that, like, I want the American dream. And actually, she opens the documentary saying she was trying to break a cycle of poverty. And I'm not sure how one person could do that. So you're one person in a whole network of extended family members. And if, you know, if you get what you say, because let's say she didn't have any student debt and she just gets, she's an educator. So let's say she pulls income consulting work and she's making 200000 a year. That can't go that far now because how many family members would you be able to help with that? How are you breaking a cycle of poverty if you yourself don't get to be in poverty? What about everybody else? You can't pay for them to go. Yeah. You can't. Yeah help them to access jobs. You're not hiring anybody. So 
What are you doing exactly there? So what what do, what do you agree with when it comes to what she said? I agree there's a policy problem. So that's fantastic that she brought that up. But I suppose that she's being selective about the facts and a little loose with the data. So, so let's start there. So she starts with the chart that illustrates the rising student debt, which she says is $2 billion with Black women, which is disproportionately affected because of their poverty. And they attend college more than Black men. So I get that, but it was also strange that she would leave out Black men because it's not as if Black men are going into higher education and they don't have debt, but Black women do get debt. You know what I mean? Like, why would why would you focus just on Black women? And even though it's true that they attend college more. And I think that that's when it becomes contradictory, because on the one hand, you say that without higher education, we'll have low wage jobs. But then it's like, well, I thought policy mm-hmm. was creating the bad jobs. So which is it? Is a higher education issue? Is it a policy issue? And ultimately, I think if you look at the history of higher education for Black people, it's always been Black women who've gone more. So, and she doesn't really look at that history. And before, Black women were in higher education more because that's, you would go to college, which, you know, that's uni for us. You go to uni and then you become a domestic. So you were trained in that, like home economics. And those right, jobs were okay. open for black women. So she kind of ignores that history, makes it seem like, oh, it's just black women out there suffering. I mean, what would you deduce if someone said black women are struggling with student loan debt and then compare it to white men? They don't graduate uh, to towards the jobs that pay enough for them to reimburse that debt, whereas the white men end up in jobs that allow them to reimburse that debt. Well, see, but and she didn't have the data there to prove that, right? Because even talking about, and there is a racial and gender pay gap, that's true. But the way she makes it seem and the way people often present it, I actually got into, <laughs> we, I ended up adding him on LinkedIn, this guy who tried to say something about women of color. I said, first of all, stop using that terminology. You cannot compare, you have to break out the groups. Um, <laughs> just saying, I mean, because he did a really cool visual and I love uh, graphics for data. Oh gosh, it just warms my heart and gets me excited. But not when you use terminology like women of color, that's a problem. And and to talk about the pay gap, you have to be specific about the industry you're talking about. And on top of that, Black people are concentrated in areas where not only do they have lower um higher education attainment rate, but they don't have access to those jobs. So she ignores that a bit too. So I think you also have to say, like, are you talking about Black people in California? Are you talking about Black people in Silicon Valley? Are you talking about Black people in the financial industry in New York? You know, what is it that you're talking about here? Because I don't think it was a coincidence that they worked in higher education where the pay isn't great. So you have to then compare that to white men in higher education, white women in higher education, and black men in higher education talk about that field, as opposed to saying, oh, black women make 76 cents to the dollar. Okay, well, that wouldn't be true if they were both coders. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But that may be true if they're both attorneys. And that would likely have to do with 
the social capital you have and you can't bring in clients to pay you as opposed to being hired by a firm and them saying, I'm not paying you less because you're black. No. Now, is that still institutional racism? Yes. But that is because you don't, you've been locked out of having clients who can pay knowing a CEO casually through your mother. I mean, that's just not going to be your social world. So then that plays out in the income you're able to generate. And that's what I mean. These are, these are institutional problems. And she makes it seem like, oh, if we didn't have that student loan debt, we'd be okay. I hardly think so. So I think, you know, it reminded me actually of the book, The Declining Significance of Race by William Julius Wilson. And it's, the title is meant to be provocative. And really, it should have been entitled The Increasing Significance of Class, because something very interesting happened in the 60s and 70s, because through government intervention, so back to policy, right, class and the way Wilson measures it is by having a college degree was a greater predictor for upward mobility than race for the first time ever. And that's because prior to that, like I told you before, black women would get degrees, but it did not mean that you were going to enter a professional occupation because you were locked out of that. And we see the, shall we say, pioneers in the professions like chemists and physicists and educators. That was the whole point. Like there's a reason why they would get out and start their own schools because you were totally locked out of that. You had to start your own company. And even then you had a problem because what kind of clients could you attract except for a bunch of poor people because all black people were poor then primarily right and so that was a really big issue then and it was only when the government said no you have to hire them you can't keep shutting them out did you see that shift happen and they totally disregard that now i get the documentary is only 10 minutes but we also listened to the one hour podcast and that was never brought up so but but that was only for that generation because timing is everything. And what he showed was that for a small number of black people, and my parents were a part of these this group, they earned degrees, they got jobs, and that's the key. Because you had the degrees and then companies were forced to hire you. Now it is true that black people ended up mostly in the private, I mean, sorry, mostly in the public sector because they're still, and we still are pretty much locked out of private sector jobs or will be underemployed in them. That is true. However, you can get the degree, but even without the job, I mean, I mean, and you have to look at the timing because 60s and 70s, right? You have the Pax Americana, which means the America is dominating politically, economically, socially, like there's the economy is expanding. So there were more jobs, right? For all of these graduates coming out. And now you don't have that anymore. Now you have the squeezing out of the middle class. You can get a degree, but it does not mean upward mobility and that you'll get, um, you know, you'll get a job. And I think that the bigger picture is that, you know, kind of institutions that shape black labor and they're kind of ignoring that and saying, oh, well, those institutions don't shape me because I have a degree. But it's like, no, you're still black and the degree means something else in your hands. It doesn't mean the same thing. So you might get a PhD, but it doesn't mean you can now take that PhD and get the same job. I mean, if you can, you'll you'll be okay. And some people have been able to do that. A very tiny <laughs> select group of people have been able to do that. But, um, and actually, you know, uh, one of my, uh, I guess it was my second research job, I met this woman and her parents were from South America. Now she 
received her master's from Harvard, her PhD from Stanford, and she struggled to find a job. And she was very clear that she would get stories all the time about, oh, well, there just aren't any qualified black or Latin people. She herself, you know, like I said, her parents were from South America, so she was Latin American. And she said from Stanford, they were the ones who were unemployed and could not find jobs. Now, she eventually found one because, you know, she was working with me and overseeing a research project. But that just shows you something, too. Why was she working at a research center after having a bout of unemployment? And she only found that job because she met my boss at a conference <laughs> and just mentioned she was out of work. <laughs> it's the truth. It's the yeah, truth. I'm surprised. And, our, and our boss was a black woman and she gave me an opportunity in a similar way because I interviewed for a different job, but I was interested in research. And so she brought me on as a researcher. So she wanted to give me an opportunity without her. I wouldn't have had that job either, which says a lot about how um, the system works when you're trying to break into these um, fields. So I think, you know, because she focuses on student loan debt, she miss, misses the bigger picture of the social relationships. For yeah. So essentially the problem people. is she doesn't address policy public policy and well i mean she, it's, it's about the root cause right so i think i think it's about saying like what do you think the root cause of the problem is i think for varsity blues right they're saying it's greedy universities and opportunistic yeah. lawnmower parents right but they don't ever questions question the bigger picture of like can college admissions ever be meritocratic with such wealth inequality such racial wealth inequality and conveniently they never brought up race yeah, in that yeah. it was all oh it's about wealth no 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 it is about the racial wealth divide and that's the root of and, both and of i would issues. argue maybe the unearned um privilege of these institutions so when they sh when they filmed the the students that had been rejected weeping over the fact that they had been they hadn't been uh, offered a place at the various uh, Ivy League universities, they were like, "My, I have no future now. I can't. I, I'm not going anywhere because I haven't gotten in to one of these elite places." And I think that's an issue as well. It's that opportunities are concentrated in what a handful of institutions. Well, I mean, but I mean that. But that's the thing. That's not really totally true because that's that's what one of the talking heads was saying, right? Because what really matters, like the U.S. is a racially divided society, that is going to be the greater predictor for you. So there was research that came out that showed that black men who went to Harvard had the same outcomes as white men who went to state universities. Right. So okay, so that plays into it as well. Yeah. Oh well, it does, and it and it proves the point, right? Because you know. You can go to USC, not that not that any black kids were bribing their way in any way, but in terms of the freedom dreams, you can go to USC. And let's say you go to USC with no student loan debt. The fact is that won't affect your outcomes because yeah, she seen yeah, it, it's not going to make. I mean, potentially, right? So it's more like you have more of a chance, but that's not the driver of inequality in this country, and so. In Freedom Dreams, what they're saying the problem is, is how do we make the American dream accessible to an aspirant black middle class through policy? And they think the solution is higher education and the barrier to that is high tuition costs. But I don't think they're really looking at, you know, one, social reproduction, which is how elite groups maintain power through institutions. Yeah. Number two, the social position of black people as a permanent, exploitable labor class, right? 
and how universities help maintain the status quo. And I think Freedom Dreams miscalculates the function and consequence of being Black, which is that sort of precarious position. So, you know, if college was free tomorrow, student deaths that, um, that erased, there would still be a barrier to keep Black people out of good jobs and wealth mm-hmm. building. And that's just the fact. And she seems to think that that's not the case, but it is. And not giving numbers because I don't know how, because if you're talking about policies, I think you have to talk about institutions. And I think that is something that in varsity blues, they didn't understand. They made it seem like, oh, the parents are just trying to live vicariously through their children. And I don't think that was oh, it no, at all. Okay, I think yeah. what the parents understood is families are an institution. You are reproducing yourself that's something that lasts beyond your lifetime and it's your responsibility to set your children up for success now were they misguided in that yes but they got that principle right and i think that is what freedom dreams misses is that families are an institution so you're trying to position yourself as how policy affects you as an individual but you have to look at as how policy is structuring and affecting the black family i mean one of the uh, talking heads talked about how she, as a college graduate, is expected, or you know, that may have been the podcast. I might be getting confused there. But in either the podcast or the documentary, I'll say she was saying how as the a first generation college student, meaning her parents did not go and her brother didn't go, she is still expected to contribute to that family. And that's what I mean. Like that is how you have to think about that debt. Yeah, that that's you how have. she's not able to pay it back right but but the real policy is why is she in a position where she is the only college graduate and supporting her parents and sibling financially that's the real policy why is her brother just because he doesn't have a degree shut out of jobs because that is something you know and that's that's the problem they're focusing on income and not wealth and that's what i mean about the racial wealth divide being the root cause of it because white people with a high school diploma so no college degree have the same wealth as black people with a college degree so why is her so that's the thing her brother should be measured against those people why does her brother absolutely wealthless and shut out of jobs just because he didn't get a degree when that's not the consequence for white people so that's the policy that's really shaping her life right is the employment why is her father was he working a job where he has no retirement potentially what's that about and instead they're focusing on, oh, well, the real problem is I have the student loan debt. Otherwise, I could help them more. No, you're not supposed to be helping them more. And, and you're not supposed to be the cash cow for the family. And you see this dynamic plays out. It plays out in my own family. My parents, my parents went to college. And that's because instead people are focusing on, well, you should have that because you went to uni. Yeah. But it's like, well, I don't. And what are you going to do about it? What do you think the policy problem is there? And no one thinks it's a policy problem. I mean, oh, or or in this case, they're saying the policy problem is you have a student loan debt. But that's not it anyway. Yeah. I don't yeah. think I would say because social capital is still there. Right. So there's also that, you know, there's other reasons why they don't have the jobs that they should have that they're underemployed, yeah. let's say. And what mm-hmm. what about like last because we need to wrap up. But um, last point, what? You're more familiar with Nina Turner's work. What position is she in to enact any any of this in the U.S.? What I don't I'm not familiar with. No, I'm not familiar with her work. Actually, finding out she was on Bernie's campaign was oh, news right, to okay. me, but also makes sense because that was one of his platform 
points. But I mean, I think she's in a position that she's organizing and they have a nonprofit organization, it seems, and that that's what they're pushing at the policy level, which you can. I mean, anyone can get a group together and push at the policy level. I mean, it's you'll still need to get sponsorship. Right. And it needs to be pushed by politicians, a politician who can make things happen. Um, but I don't think it was, I mean, and, and someone did say that, oh, B- Biden did promise that. And I was also disappointed that in the podcast, they didn't say it in the documentary, but in the podcast, they said that black women elected uh, Biden, which I thought was problematic because, you know, black men voted for uh, Biden too. I didn't. I'll be clear about that. I did not vote for. Well, he's the architect yeah, of mass please, incarceration. Yeah. How could you do that with a good conscience? And a lot of what you heard was they believed his campaign promises, and because he worked with yeah. Obama, who also had bad yeah, yeah. policy. It's like he increased the racial wealth divide. So it's like, uh... well, yeah, but that's why I'm asking: is is it you know hopeless to think anyone who gets into well, that position of you... power has any attempt has any sort of capacity to change anything? Well, I mean, oh, of course, they absolutely can. They can, but the question is, will they? And I'm glad that she does. Like I said, I'm glad they have a policy demand. I just don't think that should be the policy we're pushing. If if what you're saying is you want upward mobility, because I think ultimately that's what she's saying, is she wants upward mobility yeah. for these aspirant Black professionals. And I don't think that's the way to make that happen because you can't do that if the whole black community isn't stable no fair enough well we'll put the link to the video at least it's available to watch online so we'll add a link to the video and then people can watch and make up their minds about that that was it from us this week thank you very much for listening of course do tweet us your comments and feedback at my dialorama or write to us at mydialorama.org.uk and you can support us by clicking on the coffee link in the blurb below.